Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 8th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we're going to begin today with an email that came to me overnight and it reads, Dear Michael, I am very concerned and I am hoping you can get some answers for me about an issue of huge concern to me and my neighbours. I would like to know why a large group of men have moved into a building in the centre of my town. This is a big building that provided a lot of office space up until recently when it was converted into 10 apartments. Each apartment, I'm told, will accommodate between four and six people. This means there could be between 40 and 60 of these men living here now. Who are these men? Nobody seems to know anything about them. Uh, Apparently, they arrived here late at night in the cover of darkness without any consultation with the local community. Nobody knew anything about it beforehand. I don't know where they've come from, but they are not Irish. They don't have passports. And the woman up the road was telling me she saw one of them buying a curry. I don't believe for a second that any of them are Catholic. Have they been vetted? Is it safe for me as a woman to walk the streets? Are our children safe? Why is it all men, only men? Why are there no women or children? Young men of military age, they scare me. Are they part of a secret army? Please, Michael, find out what you can or I'll go down there myself and confront them. I'm thinking of bringing an Irish flag. If I can't get a a tricolour, I might bring a confederate flag that I've had for years. Would they get out of here if I wrap myself in a sheet with a pillowcase over my head and holes cut out for my eyes? They'll wish they never came to my town. Yes, I will tell them to go back to wherever it is they came from. Please find out what you can for me, a very concerned Contrary Mary. Well, Contrary Mary, we have contacted the property company and yes, 40 men moved into these apartments on Monday evening. They are all engineers working for a pharmaceutical company. They are highly educated, highly skilled and highly paid. Actually, the local council is delighted that the apartments are going to bring new life to the centre of the town and the Chamber of Commerce says it expects a real boost to the local economy with so many well-paid professionals now living in the town. 
Because these men have come from Belfast, they are not required to have passports and we can't discuss their religion because that led to 800 years of war on this island. And it should be mentioned as well, uh, it would be very unusual and very unfair and terribly suspicious to ask professional biomedical engineers to go through a vetting process when they are of no danger to the public. For anybody listening who hasn't realised yet, this is not a real email. There is no contrary Mary who contacted us. You've been listening to a satirical skit on the mindset that has people suspicious of a group of men moving into a building locally and how suspicion and rumour mixed with lies and false information can lead to very dangerous and unfounded assumptions about people. Nothing you've been listening to was real. This, on the other hand, is unfortunately very real. And this is a mob that turned up at uh, Bed and Breakfast, which has been converted to house refugees in Navan on Friday evening. Uh, There were really some disgusting scenes and it's horrible to hear this language and to see these people outside someone's residence asking them, to go home, telling them to go home. There's no asking about it. They're saying they want them out of this country. Really, really vile stuff. It would remind you of the Klu Klux Klan. Imagine being a black person inside with the Klu Klux Klan. Of course, they used to burn buildings down. Or imagine being Jewish inside one of these buildings with the Nazis outside or Nazi supporters outside shouting their vile chants. The language was so vulgar that was being used by these people. And the sentiment that was expressed was beyond belief to think that they think for a moment that they have any support. It was a very small group of the usual big mouths and layabouts. Uh, You can hear some very strong Dublin accents actually amongst this crowd. I wonder how many of them were from Navin, if any of them at all. Uh, We couldn't actually play uh, the audio for you on on the radio that we've picked up off the internet because the language was so horrible and disgusting and violent. I know that would be offensive to a lot of people. Indeed, I'm sure what you've been listening to has been very, very offensive uh, because it is hard to believe that these people are standing outside with a, 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 a sign that said are our children and streets safe. Uh, They're implying that there's uh, some threat to the children from the people inside. All of the people inside are only women or children. There's only women and children staying in this bed and breakfast and they were frightened out of their minds. Can you imagine the the stress, uh, the stress, the feeling of fear, how the children inside were feeling uh, when there was such hatred outside in Navan, in Ireland, in this uh, 21st century uh, that we're living in. It really is uh, beyond belief and I, I don't know, uh, it would make you feel ashamed uh, to think that people would think that that's reflective of how people in this country feel and how they act. Uh, as I say, I was speaking with uh, the people who run that bed and breakfast in Navan yesterday and it is Ukrainian refugees, women and children only who are being housed there, who have fled from this terrible war, from this terrible invasion that Putin has subjected the people of the Ukraine to. And what are they met by but this vulgar bunch of racist 
fascist, right-wing, people full of hatred with nothing to do other than to go out and block the road on a Friday evening looking for attention, trying to be popular on the internet. The good news, if you like, is that under new laws, this is soon about to become illegal and repeat offenders like these people on Friday evening in Navan will end up facing the potential of a prison sentence. Now, independent councillor Alan Laws found himself in uh, the centre of this. It turned out to be quite controversial at that, and understandably so. Stomach-churning scenes in Navan on Friday evening. Alan, I'm sure you'll welcome these new laws, which will result in people, if they are repeat offenders, being imprisoned. Well, Michael, what, what, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a protester myself. I believe in the people's right to protest. But when we bring that right to protest to people's stores, their accommodation, where they live, where there's women and children, that's wrong. And it is wrong. So on that basis, I would welcome it. I mean, if you want to protest against against something, you, you protest outside Mead County Council. You protest outside uh, uh, TD's uh, constituency office. That's where you protest. That's where you bring your protest. You don't bring your protest to where women and children are. And in particularly in this instance, we have women and children that's been very, very traumatised by the situation they came in. And we were hoping that we bring these people here. We're trying to look after them the best we can. And just to say, it, there is good people in Navan. There is people that's dropped in toys for the children. There is people that's dropped in buggies for the children. There is people that's organising, you know, uh, English classes for, for, for these people from Ukraine. Yeah. There is great people in Navan, and I'm very, very proud of the way we've been doing. But unfortunately, you have people that actually, you know, would, would bring a protest to the door of women and children, and that's absolutely wrong. And it is no, there's no justification for, for doing that. And mm. um, The only thing I can say, Michael, is there was another protest organised for Bank Holiday Monday. I did contact the protesters on Mead, uh, uh, said no to open borders. I did tell them, please, I, I called down to that B&B myself, um, the Monday morning, I met with the, the people there. I seen there was women and children there, just to be sure for myself. Because mm. unfortunately, the one criticism you might have, and people might have, is there is a lack of communication, even with myself as an elected representative, Michael. I, I didn't know what was happening with that B&B. There's another, there's another um, um, establishment now, allegedly uh, going to take in refugees. As, a, as an elected representative, I've asked Mead County Council, uh, are they aware of anything? They told me no, they're not aware of it. Um, so Mead County Council are not involved mm-hmm. at all. But as an elected representative, I, I, I should know what's happening in my own area, Michael. I should know that. Yeah, but yeah. at least when I, when I, when I contacted uh, that group yesterday, they held their process at the bull at 2 o'clock, but they didn't uh, yesterday. Uh, march on the accommodation. So I'm thankful for that at least, yeah. Michael, because the people weren't traumatised for them. Yeah, and uh, I was at the B&B yesterday and I was told that following the protest on Friday, it was something that disgusted so many people that it led to all of those donations and calls of support and to a large degree it backfired on these protesters. Yeah, it, it, it did. I mean, look, I mean, 
a couple about two weeks ago, Michael, this, this kind of raised its ugly head in, in, in Johnstown, where I live myself. And um, we're talking about misinformation on the on the internet, misinformation on on Facebook. I actually, I actually was walking into Johnstown Shopping Centre myself, and I, I walked by these group of students, and they were obviously students somewhere in the ages of between ten and fifteen. Uh, they come over from France. They do it every year. After taking students myself, I knew who they were straight away by looking at them. I walked by them anyway. I went about my business and I seen on Facebook later on there was a post put up uh, suggesting, uh, of course, these students were from France, so they're multicultural like ourselves. And there was posts put up later on in the area suggesting that we are sneaking migrants into the area in the middle of the night in Johnstown. Mm. Now, I intervened on that post myself and I said, hold on a second. They, they took pictures of them. And I said, these are children. They're only ages from 10 to 15 years of age. Please take your post down. And he didn't take the post down. And when, when I actually challenged them, and, and when I've come out as such, look, I can, I can understand people's genuine concerns about numbers coming into the country. Yeah. If you're arguing about whether we can handle it in the health service, that's yeah. a genuine concern. Yeah. If, you can, if you're arguing about how can we handle it with homeless services, the housing service, yeah. that's a genuine concern. Everything. Law and order. Yeah, everything. Law and order. Education. Everything. I mean, when yeah. you see yeah. such a, an increase in uh, the population, of course it's going to put a, a strain uh, on services and of course it's, it's, it's huge challenge uh, but uh, I mean the background to that of course is that people are, are fleeing war torn situations and apart from that even if people do have a, a problem or they have concerns to threaten and intimidate women and children anybody whether it's young men in one of these centres or women and children exactly. in one of these exactly. centres Michael, on Friday night is just wrong you've seen laser lights being shined in yes. the bedroom windows and what's that to do with a protest Mm. That's actually frightening people, and there was children inside them bedrooms. You can imagine how they felt, and you know we, we really have to appeal to people. You know, it, it, when I when I stuck up for the the migrants mm. on online, the amount of abuse I've received, Michael, since I, I'm really shocked, and I am worried about the future. Mm. And I'm sure you've seen the scenes from Fingers yeah. as well, where when when characters were shouting, "Let's let's find them, let's burn them out," and the crowd cheered. Yeah. That's really worrying, Michael. Yeah. That's mm. extremely yeah. worrying. Yeah. And, and I never thought, there's one thing about one sick individual shouting something like that, but when the crowd that's there cheer yeah. them. Mm. And, and that's it. Them. It's the, the threats, the intimidation, the blackguardism, yeah. the, the pure gutter snipe uh, approach to this that has been taken by these people that are is frightening people and there is concern that a lot of hotels uh, won't renew contracts with the state to house immigrants uh, for fear of protests outside of uh, the hotels. There's a, a very good sketch in the Irish Times this morning, a Martin Turner cartoon. Uh, it has a man holding a placard. Ireland for the Irish, what did immigrants ever do for us? And alongside him then, there's a few immigrants. Uh, there's St. Patrick, uh, there's Eamon de Valera, and there's James Connolly. Well, I'd ask people, you, you know, Michael, that I work in the homeless area. I, I always volunteered there for a good few years. I, I'd, I'd ask people to look at what the Muslim sisters of Ireland do. You know, look at what they do. These are immigrants, and these are immigrants that are doing a fabulous job in the inner city looking after homeless people. And I'd ask them to look at that. And you look at, you know, the fabulous immigrants. We have that young girl now, the 200-metre runner. Look at what that girl is doing representing Ireland. Mm. She's absolutely fabulous. And you look at her history. You know, the Perlis and Condra, uh, Paul McGrath, mm. Phil Linnett. 
they're all ancestors of immigrants who have actually done Ireland proud and are proud Irish men and women. Mm. And like, again, arguing about numbers is a genuine argument. Mm. Worrying about whether we can cope in the country is genuine. But to, to target, to blame people on the wrongs that's in their society with homelessness and to mm. do with the health service. I mean, I, I put up figures for people. Back in the year uh, 2000, Michael, we 23,000 beds in Ireland. In the year 2020, we'd only 14,000 beds. Mm. The crisis in our health service has been caused by governments over many, many years not investing in the health service. Mm. That's what's causing the crisis. It's nothing to do with migrants, Michael. It's nothing mm. to do with them at all. It's not no. their fault. Now, when I saw that flag outside of the B&B on Navin on Friday, it, it prompted to the idea for that skit that we heard at the programme this morning because it really was like the Klu Klux Klan outside of a building threatening the people who were living inside of that building. And, and it's, it's right-wing elements within the protest, within people that's worried about numbers. People are worried about numbers. Mm. They're worried, can we cope? I know, but imagine, the flee- imagine, Im- imagine fleeing war only to be yeah. terrorised in Navin. Yeah, I know. It, it, it is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. And, and at least I'd say to you, Michael, is but what's not seen, the loud mount mob was outside, but the good people in Navin have rallied to these people. I, I did an appeal to 70, to 70 Ukrainian people over in another part of, of uh, Mead, um, which I did an appeal for, and the response I got from local people in Navin, because these refugees came into the country, it was told there was one family with five children, two babies, they only had the clothes on their backs. They didn't know boogies, they didn't know baby farmer, they didn't know nappies, they didn't know nothing. When I did an appeal, uh, Michael, to the people in Avon, the response I got was absolutely fabulous. So mm. we have really, really great people. Oh, of course. The loud mob, mm. the loud mouth mob are the mm. ones that's being heard most, but I'm mm. telling you, there's an awful lot of good people behind this who are helping these people when they come into where well, into where uh, the, 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 the hard-working, decent, silent majority are doing their best to help people at this time of great need where they're fleeing dreadful situations and war and death and uh, destruction for that matter. Uh, the Big mouths and the layabouts are acting like yobs and are acting in a way that can only be described as obscene. Uh, and it is no wonder that uh, the government is being forced into a situation where it's going to have to force people not to act like that so that they can protect vulnerable people, people who are seeking international protection, to protect them from these jobs by making it illegal to carry out these type of protests. Yeah, fully fully agree with you, Michael. I mean, yeah, I, I don't like protests being restricted. I, I, I was born into politics, you could say, out of the water protests. But in this case, you cannot be protesting outside where people are staying. You cannot do that. And these people were traumatised enough. And I know from speaking to them and speaking for people that have dealt with them, they were absolutely terrified, Michael, when that protest took place on Friday night. Ukrainian women with their children. Dreadful. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thank you indeed. Independent Councillor Mead, Alan Laws. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you've been hearing on LMFM's news, uh, there has been vandalism of uh, the Leah Fall or Stone of uh, Destiny on uh, the hill of Tara, the coronation stone for the High Kings, said to have sung or cried out when touched by the foot of a legitimate Irish ruler. Let's speak to Independent Councillor Nick Killian, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, Nick Killian. Morning, Michael. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, For some reason, somebody took it upon themselves uh, to spray paint the word fake on the stone. 
Yeah, some um, clown obviously had some reason for doing that um, and unfortunately has defaced uh, the Leah Fall. So from the perspective of Mead County Council, uh, our heritage officer, obviously it was reported to the Gardaí and the OPW have been contacted and the OPW will clean the stone uh, sometime over the over the next couple of days to try and get it back to the condition that it was in before. It's not the first time, unfortunately, that the Leofall was attacked. It was attacked in 2012 by somebody with a hammer, and then two years later, somebody painted uh, colours on it as well. And mm. but To be fair, the OPW, um, who maintain Tara and maintain the, the whole archaeological site, um, got it back to where it is today. What's behind it? Is it idle mines? Idle mines, a clown of some kind. Um, somebody mentioned to me this morning, had it anything to do with COVID? Because there's signs in Ashburn now, I believe at the moment, that has the word fake sprayed on them as well. So maybe it's somebody that has... Uh, God love them, has something on their minds, but I wish they'd leave our heritage site alone. I mean, as you know, Michael, it's one of our most important. It's the jewel in the crown in the Boyne Valley, mm. uh, along with Newgrange. And um, I just checked uh, this morning with our tourism people. And in 2021, which is the latest figures we have, 188,000 people visited Tara. And if you go up there any day of the week, you'll find people from not just from me, from all over Ireland, and indeed tourists there at all time. Okay. Do uh, new measures need to be put in place uh, to? Well, well ironically, um, on, only last month uh, at our January meeting, we had uh, the chief archaeologist down where we launched uh, the Tara Conservation Management Plan, and uh, that's a plan that's going to be put in place. Um, like Tara, to a certain extent, has been ignored by the OPW from the visitor perspective over the last uh, God knows how long. I've been on about it for years, and uh, so has uh, other councillors. Um, and uh, there's a management plan being put in place, which is going to be worked on over the next two to three years uh, with through funding. And the uh, person in charge of that uh, was with... Uh, the council and explain this all to the members at our January monthly meeting. It's a very hard place to manage. A very hard place to police. Uh, Yeah, it's 100 uh, acres. Should we be looking at at, at technology though, CCTV or something like that in certain parts of uh, the site? We may have to, but uh, I think listening to Michael McDonough, who is the the head of the National Monument Service, um, he, he he, he thinks that a lot of CCTV and poles and everything around um, might spoil the view of the whole place. So they're obviously going to look at various situations. We'll have to look, obviously, at the likes of the Leofall, which is very much out in the middle of the uh, Tara hmm. complex. Like, we also have, um, you know, the the uh, St. Patrick is part and parcel of it as well. And a lot of people come just to see it from that perspective. Um, so from the cons- from the conservation management um, plan, working with Mead County Council, the Office of Public Works, who, to be fair, on the actual hill itself, keep it in, in very good condition. Mm. And, uh, like, it's there for the last, from what we know, five and a half thousand years of history. Mm. And as you outlined yourself in the beginning, it's the, the stone of destiny or the stone where the high kings of Ireland were uh, crowned. 
and it has links with Scotland as well. And they think that that's where the stone came from originally. So it's very important to me. It's it's a magical place. Uh, I love Tara, and it's a, a great place to go. A morning like this, wouldn't it be just grand, Michael, just strolling across the fields of Tara? Yeah, uh, and perhaps uh, it doesn't matter all that much in that this can be uh, cleaned up very easily, but uh, the idea that it can be desecrated or destroyed is a, a different it's day's worrying. work. That uh, is worrying. Uh, and the fact that it's in the middle of nowhere, particularly overnight and that, and there's nobody around for miles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I take it there's no prospect of catching whoever did this. I'd say it's going to be very difficult for the Gardaí. The only thing we're hoping for is uh, Monday, I believe, was an extremely busy day on the hill of Tara and the Gardaí reckon it happened between um, dusk and um, uh, maybe during the night. So maybe if people were up there and seen something that listening to the programme this morning might jolt their memory if they've seen something please report it to the Gardaí mm. uh, What kind of sanction I can't imagine that there would be any great sanction for that uh, that would be like spray painting a wall would it? Well I'm sure there's some sanction there but obviously it, 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 it'll be very little mm. uh, no these type of sanctions yeah, and I suppose what I'm asking is should that be looked at? It has to be looked at because uh, mm. uh, there's like if you find somebody a hundred euro for defacing something like that, should they'll go out and do it again? Yeah, hundred. You know they'll have got the notoriety for doing it. They'll have got the uh, buzz of doing it, and, and it's open for them to do it again. So mm. let's hope if they're listening to the show this morning, they might hang their head in shame and, and I, say, "I, I, I think, won't do that again." Yeah, well, I think it's been there for five thousand years, pretty much untouched up yeah. until the uh, three incidents that you yeah, mentioned. Yeah. Including some, this one on Monday, idiot has has done this, and um, it's not good. Like as as I said earlier, you know the amount of tourists that go up there, and we don't want to give the impression that we uh, don't care about our uh, archaeological heritage and the how special Tara is within the history of Ireland. And as you know, if you go abroad, uh, people talk; they'll talk about Tara mm. uh, as if they know it themselves, because people. Are very much in in have knowledge of Tara even uh, right across the world, so we have to protect it, and it's our duty as uh, citizens, and it's the duty of Meath County Council, the OPW, the National Monuments, uh, all to work together to try and find a way of managing the place. Um, I had to smile when Michal uh, McDonough at their meeting said, uh, yeah, and he said, I even know the Mead team trained on it many years ago. <laughs> we have to stop that. So um, <laughs> Sean Boylan, uh, our great manager over the years and the great years of Mead football, um, that's where he trained the team. And okay. I know the Mead ladies, I think, have been up there as well. And you have dog walkers, you have people who walk, who jog. Mm. So it's a place of 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 great interest for people apart from the historical part of it you could say it's our own um, national park in County Meath mm, Yeah, a great amenity uh, apart from yeah. the historical importance yeah, of it all Exactly Alright Nick thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us at Dreadful uh, to see uh, yeah, that stone Thanks, Michael. Yep. Okay, Thank you That's uh, the Cahirlick of Meath County Council Nick Killian
Primary school teachers and principals say their workload is bursting at the seams and the trade union, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, the INTO, says that if Ireland's reputation for having a high quality education system is to be retained, something must urgently happen to reduce this workload, which is putting huge strain on teachers and school leaders in primary and special schools. Let's speak to Deirdre O'Connor, Deputy General Secretary of of the INTO and a very good morning to you Deirdre and thank you good indeed. Good morning to you Michael. You've carried out a, 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 a very extensive a massive survey of some 4,000 teachers and 1,100 school leaders. Tell us a little bit about the findings if you would. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a, a survey that was developed because of concerns that were expressed at our one of our annual congresses uh, back uh, about two or three years ago and we undertook this survey. So what, what we found was that 90% of our teacher respondents are saying that they struggle with challenging workload. Um, and they, you know, kind of set out, you know, for example, principals set out the kind of time that they're talking about, the time in excess of actual teaching or what people might consider to be the school day. Principals mm. work about 15 hours a week um, on top of the, the regular school day and indeed work about eight hours a week in there in times when the schools are closed and um, their holidays. You've added that up for us to about 600 hours a year. Yeah, yeah that's mm. right. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, and, and what's, what, what, you know, kind of when teachers are asked, well, what is driving that? What's, 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 making, that, what's making that happen? They identified uh, a number of things. So, for example, our primary school curriculum, which, you know, we're, we're very proud of, um, which we, you know, kind of accept has to be changed to keep up with the times, but that does uh, make demands on teachers' workload where the curriculum is is changing as it is at the moment. Um, there's also a plethora of initiatives, some of them, you know, kind of coming from the department itself, like their literacy and numeracy initiatives, but there's also initiatives that come from outside bodies, like, for example, green schools and, you know, kind of other initiatives that come from the community or from other mm. from other places which, which, which schools take on. Mm. Um, there's a lot of workload associated with the inclusion and the proper inclusion of children with special educational needs. Okay. There's a lot of paperwork that goes with that. Mm. Well, they're all very positive things, though, at the same time, aren't they? They are all very positive mm. things, and that is the, you know, kind of those, but, but I suppose all those positive things do come at a cost of the workload of the principals and the teachers in the schools. So we accept that these are, you know, that they are positive things, but there has to be a way to manage the, the bureaucracy, the paperwork, um, you know, kind of to sort out issues around time for doing these things yeah. as well. But is the bureaucracy and the paperwork necessary? Is it a question of manpower? Do you need more staff? I think the, the frustration that teachers feel is that some of the paperwork, um, and particularly for principal teachers, they feel that it's, you know, kind of not adding anything to the, you know, kind of to the teaching and learning at the experience in the schools. So some of it is driven by outside organisations, uh, the Department of Education themselves, mm. you know, everybody's familiar with filling out the same form, putting the same details on a form um, so many times. So those, that, that kind of paperwork um, one of the things that we do need in terms of managing paperwork and administration in schools is we need a proper system of, you know, school secretaries who are properly paid, where their, you know, kind of their wages are funded by the department, where they're employed on, on decent conditions by the Department of Education. That's an absolute necessity mm. for every primary school. And they've been in dispute for a long time, haven't they? They have.
Yes, mm. indeed. Yeah, yeah. And there's been some progress mm. in relation to that. But I think, you know, kind of that, that campaign by our fellow trade union force uh, in support of school secretaries, you know, kind of is something which, you know, kind of would is, is something that we supported on the basis that if a, a principal particularly has a good school secretary, that can assist with their workload mm. immensely. And can they take on that extra workload? There are some pieces which can be taken on and then that frees up the principal to do the things mm. that they need to do, you know, kind of, and, and primarily those are things to do with interacting with parents, um, you know, kind of leading the teaching and learning in the schools, you know, kind of being a visible presence, you know, kind of, you know, the things that you would expect a primary school principal to be, mm. you know, if you walk into your child's school that you'd expect to meet the principal, the principal wouldn't be, you know, kind of tied to, to his or her desk all day. You know, or providing of, substitute cover for somebody who's out sick. Yes, yeah, mm. and that's another great mm. failing and that has caused a huge amount of workload. The department's failure to plan for teacher supply and to take away some of the substitute cover that we had during COVID. You know, we believe that every day that a child is in school, they should be taught by a qualified teacher in their own classroom. And, you know, the failure to, to, pl- to plan for teacher supply has left principals and other teachers struggling with yeah. workload. So whether it's the principal who has to wake up in the morning and find a substitute mm. or the teacher who has to take an additional seven or eight children into her classroom, um, and, and look after them for the day. Th- those are all factors that, that have driven workloads. So a properly you know, resourced system of supply mm. panels of substitute teachers will go a long way to, to sort out. Okay. As you presented, it doesn't sound sustainable, but is it a case of either or? Either something is done to uh, increase and improve supports for principals and teachers or something has to give. I mean, you talk about the Green Schools programme. I mean, if we don't have the wherewithal to take in programmes like that, should we drop them? It's a very it's a very complex area, and we ask teachers and principals, you know, why they took on things which are outside of what are strictly the requirements. And, and you know, kind of they had very positive answers. Teachers feel very conflicted about this because they know that those programmes are very good for children, that they assist children in their development. They, you know, kind of that, you know, parents expect that, you know, kind of a certain amount of of work like that will be done in schools now. Mm. And indeed, you know, sometimes schools are looking over their shoulder at um, the neighbouring school and saying, well, you know, we have to, you know, kind of we need to be an attractive school, a school that people will want to enrol their children in. So while while the, you know, kind of teachers feel very, very conflicted and in a very difficult situation in relation to that. Okay, Deirdre, thank you for talking to us uh, this morning. Deirdre O'Connor is the Deputy General Secretary of the INTO, that's the Irish National Teachers Organisation. Some comments uh, before we go to headlines. Good morning, says somebody. This is very sad to hear people protesting against refugees. I understand the situation is is difficult with housing etc but how can people shout go home if there's a war there is nothing there left for people where is compassion and understanding says our caller another whatsapp message about that saying it's absolutely brilliant to hear that there will be new laws to tackle this type of behaviour uh, a text then another whatsapp message actually from Deirdre who says uh, they uh, have to leave that stone alone in Tara. Uh, very, very wrong. Uh, another text uh, that comes uh, from uh, another listener uh, who says it's shocking behaviour, or it was shocking behaviour, in Navin on Friday night. And I wonder if any of those big mouths were out protesting to save the local hospital. Thank you indeed. If you have been in touch, if you haven't been in touch as yet, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658 and email 
if you wish, michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, viewers of her primetime on RTE television last night will be aware of a legal strategy which is effectively blocking survivors of child sexual abuse from suing uh, the Christian Brothers. This is because the order is an unincorporated body, a collection of people rather than a single entity. If a case is uh, to be taken against uh, the Christian Brothers, the order must nominate a representative uh, to to represent the order. Failing that, each member of the order must be sued individually at a cost of up to €20,000. And even though the brothers concerned had nothing to do with the abuse of the children, legally, this is sound. Morally, it's very questionable. That's the view of the former Chief Justice Frank Clark, who told Primetime the law must change to force the Christian Brothers to treat victims of child sexual abuse fairly and that the Law Reform Commission is bringing forward recommendations to the government to that effect. This was revealed to Primetime by Damien O'Farrell, who represents many victims of Christian Brother child sexual abuse himself. If you were watching the programme last night, you will know is a victim himself, but is able to speak to us today. He's come into the studio, and a very good morning to you, Damien, and thank you indeed for coming on to the programme this morning. Uh, And congratulations to you, if you don't mind me saying that, for shedding a a light on something that I think has probably gone below the radar of most people in this country and how the Christian Brothers are, are using the law to their advantage to stop paying compensation to victims. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's it's part of it. It's historical abuse. People think historical abuse. It happened in the 80s and the 90s. It's all been sorted now and every, everything has been, been sorted and, and that's the end of the issue. But when actual fact, um, abuse, sexual abuse, child sexual abuse, and we're talking about rape, um, an oral rape, that type of thing. That that it's enduring, and it doesn't really go away, and it stays with people um, all their all their lives. And it's one in four people are affected in Ireland. Um, so one in four people in Drogheda, uh, to Dock, this area w- would be affected and would be interested in this subject, and their families and all mm. that. So the Christian Brothers, probably you know in all the orders, they're probably the most. What I find in my experience, they're the most be the most aggressive uh, to response to to victims. Um, mm. And, and when you talked about abuse being enduring in the programme last night, mm-hmm. you said that what that meant in effect was that you were never going to reach the potential uh, as a, a person that you might have reached otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Mm. You know, you, you have it. They call about your, your inner child. There's a child inside you there and that child is, is always there and that child makes decisions through fear. You know, you, you, you might be fearful sometimes. You have maybe a low self-esteem. Why did you? The child um, wants to be, wants to hide away, doesn't mm. want to speak to people and it doesn't put themselves forward for, for certain uh, for certain jobs or for certain roles and it's always there. And on the surface, um, you're, you're not physically di- um, disabled or physically, you don't have a disability. So you look you look okay, but it's, it's mm. there inside you when people, um, people carry that. And, and survivors is a word that I, it's, it's a loose, I, it's not a word that I, I use really because it, you don't are you a survivor I don't know you, you, you work through it I'm a victim I don't really like that word either but it probably best explains what the word I, I use sometimes I use the term someone who has experienced abuse I think that's probably a better way of, um, of, of, of the term and that's probably going to come in in the next few years it's probably going to be mm. 
to be used more. But it's uh, when I suppose mm. these are a Christian organization as well, the Christian Brothers. And yeah. I suppose that's it's doubly hard, I suppose, mm. when people reach out, mm. which reach out to them, they would expect some Christian yeah. charity because they, they, they couldn't. Um, no, you know they're not responsible for every for what happens with with every you know with every person. But when they but they were in their organisation, they did know mm. abuse was going on. They had trouble back in the seventies, the fifties, and all in Australia, yeah. and in Canada. If all the groups in Ireland, they knew the most about child mm. abuse. Mm. So when you reached out to them, you would expect to be treated well, but with some some compassion, some pastoral. But the opposite is the case, the, mm. like the, the exact opposite to that. And I, I think people generally use the term survivor out of respect yeah, for they do. Yeah, yeah. the child who was raped or assaulted, as the mm-hmm. case may be. But uh, to use the term survivor, I think also gives the impression that it's all OK now. Exactly, and that, mm. that's the point I make, that it's enduring, and mm. it really never, it never leaves you. Mm. But you've fought this hard. I mean, you talk about the Christian brothers fighting hard. You've fought it hard yourself over the years. Uh, you've shown great strength in taking a civil action uh, against the brothers successfully uh, and um, advocating uh, for so many people uh, who you've come across over the years. You met with the Pope and discussed mm-hmm. this with him personally. Yeah, I suppose, and it started with with at the very start. I I went to the Christian Brother Order, and I I, I gave them. I, I revealed some abuse. My mm. abuser, one of my abusers, was teaching in a school. He left the brothers. He was married with children. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but I knew he'd left the brothers. I knew he was teaching, mm. and I went to the. I didn't know where he was teaching, and I went to the brothers. I wrote to them, and uh, this was in the mid nineties. And I said to them that he, I believe, he's teaching in a school. Could, could you mm. look after it? And then I met with them, and I met with them with, with my wife, and. Uh, and the brothers were to look after it. And the brothers told the guards, they told the school, they told that it was an anonymous complaint. They lied, they misrepresented me. And that really rankled with me. And I've never probably got closure for that. You, mm. you know, I never. And there was, I, I had emotion last night on the um, mm. on the programme. Yeah. And the emotion was really, it wasn't sadness for me or because I was abused or anything. Like that. It was, someone was finally listening to me after 25 or 30 years. There was a, Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There was a camera in my kitchen and someone was listening to me and... Um, 
So that that's where it started with the brothers. And at the same time, um, I had to knock on doors to find other victims. I was on my own. I got the very first Christian brother convicted in this in the history of the state, as far as I know. Um, I had to go out and knock on doors in the winter time and all that. And at the same time as that was happening, I remembered that um, this this town, this area, gave um, Edmund Garvey the um, the freedom of the town, and that, that rankled me at the time. And then twenty five years later. And when victims were coming to me and I realised he was the leader again in Ireland and I realised what he was doing to victims at the time. I'm through the system. So we couldn't get a victim onto onto prime time last night that, that wasn't through the system. They're in front of the courts and all that. So I'm through the system. There's nothing in, the, in this for me. I'm a city councillor in Dublin at the moment. I'm not standing for election again. There's nothing. I'm just trying to help people that are coming up after me. And... Um, and when I realised what he was doing, and through his own choice, and we'll get into that in the mm, interview, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's a very that's, interesting that, story that, about That's where it started. Yeah. And um, mm. and I was fought all the way, and mm. they were aggressive with me. When After my guy was, was convicted, I went to see the brothers mm. to see why did they lie to the to the guards, mm. and why did they... And the guy basically just threw me out of the threw me out of his office with aggression. Mm. And I made a complaint into this crowd called West Court. It's all documented. Yeah. And... Uh, they're not. <laughs> they're not. It's not mm. pastoral like you imagine. Yeah. I disclosed some of the abuse that they talked about on prime time last night. Yeah. My abuse. Um, I wrote mm. to them. That incident. Yeah, uh, I wrote about going around the going around the yeah, lamp. You know. I, I think everybody was very disturbed by yeah. that. That was really uh, appalling. I mean, that was treating you like an object rather than a human yeah. being. Yeah. No, at the alone, time, let alone a child, yeah. an innocent child. At the time, um, when I had my clothes on mm. at the start, um, they didn't. Um, they didn't. Uh, people were telling me these guys were telling me I was a lovely fella, and it was. And you want to be. People are telling you you're gorgeous, mm. and you're walking around a lamp, and and it was a nice feeling, you know. You're great, and they were gentle, and all this type, of, you know. And then as my clothes started coming off, and I realised, then it was real. And I only realised that was abuse a few, a few, five or six years ago, around the time the Pope was coming. I started to think back, and I only realised that. But I brought that to the attention of. the the reason I never said it to the brothers for 20 years is that the last time I met the brothers 20 year, 25 years ago, I was aggressively thrown out of an office, you know. So I didn't, I finished with them, I don't, mm. but I met them recently enough to talk about these guys, but could they could they do something for the, for the, just, for the just, victims Just explain the that to me, mm? yeah, just explain that to me for a, mm. a moment. Yeah. Um, you were 11, 12 years of age, were yeah. you, when, when yeah. the abuse happened? Uh, yeah. And... What happened in terms of confronting the brothers after that? What what age were you then? I was. I think I was in my thirties. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you were thrown out of an office, was it? Well, I, I got a guy convicted, mm. and okay. I went to see the, the head brother after right. that. Okay. And I was wondering why his predecessor didn't didn't tell the truth. To the, didn't they all? He told mm. the school that it was okay. an anonymous complaint. So and that, left, that was that was a, 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 a much higher level of uh, abuse that brother that was convicted than. The brothers, yeah, there yeah, was four yeah, brothers, yeah, I think yeah, you said, who, yeah, three, three. three I don't remember, whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you, did, you didn't consider that to be abusive no, until four or five years ago. No, because 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 victims we yeah. minimise, yeah. you know. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking about myself. I was thinking mm. about this guy. The, the last perpetrator was mm. teaching in schools, yeah, teaching kids, yeah. And I knew that he'd abuse me, and yeah. I knew that could be an issue because yeah. Brendan Smith's father was around, and I knew then about the recidivist nature of it. I didn't know anything mm. about that then, and I was thinking about had to had to sort this guy out. So eventually, one file went to DPP; they wouldn't mm. prosecute. Then a second file because I had to find another bit, which mm. I did. It took me like two, two or three days. I knocked only had about three doors, yeah. and I got another victim. And then he was, uh, but but when I eventually when I went to the school, and I was wondering. 
it was three years after my, my, I made my original complaint to the bus. Mm. He was still teaching in the school. And I, w- I asked the school. So the school explained to me and the Archbishop's House explained to me that the brothers told them that I'd made an anonymous complaint and mm. I didn't want to come forward when I'd actually written the brothers a letter. Mm. And I met them with my wife. Mm. There was nothing anonymous mm. about it. Mm. So when I went to the brothers after he was convicted, mm. I went to the head guy in Ireland and I asked him, what, um, why did you do that? Why did you guys yeah. do that? And he didn't want to talk and he just got aggressive. And uh, I was out of the I was out of the office. That's what it was. He said, and I didn't even have a solicitor at that point. I'd never spoken to a solicitor. I didn't, and it was at that point that I said, I'm going to get a solicitor and I'm going to teach these guys. You know, I'm going to, yeah. sh- and that's mm. and, and, and that, well done, well done. That's that a, that's that was a, a ten year um, legal case then, that, and, and that's is, that's why I'm congratulating you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, probably ten years uh, through the legal system, and I, yeah. I don't think you could contextualize how many years it takes in brain power. You know uh, what it might take off your life because it consumes you when you're doing something like that there's no doubt about it I think the benefit of you telling the story really uh, is for other people isn't it so that people can identify and say I'm not the only one and maybe they have more to add to it or maybe they feel that maybe there's something that they can do themselves and where where it where it affects the most is your family because Mm -hmm. and we'll get into this what they're doing to the to the to the guys now um, but when you have a case that's a long time like these these victims at the moment will be dead and I think that's the purpose of the of the yeah. of the, the prolonging the cases but w- what happens when you're taking a case and it takes that long is you're thinking you're going to go to mm. court and they told lies about you and this and you're thinking about this but they're not they mm. have lawyers to look after that they're not thinking about this but it goes on and on and on so you're you're at home physically present with your family mm. but mentally you're not there Okay. and you probably have a young family at this stage and you're not really with your kids and they resent that and it, ca- it causes trouble then mm. and marriage if difficulties and difficulties with mm. your children in, in, in later in, life and that's yeah. where mm. the cost that is enduring, enduring abuse yeah. uh, and then yeah. this long lengthy legal battle I yeah. mean anybody who goes to court uh, for uh, speeding fine or something yeah. knows how stressful yeah. it is this yeah. is something else stay with me I'm going to have to take a break uh, we want to talk uh, about uh, the head of uh, the Christian brothers uh, at the time brother Edmund Garvey who was given the freedom of the city uh, as it's called for Drogheda uh, and why you want that to be rescinded when we come back after the break Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Okay so we're back with uh, Damien O'Farrell we're hearing about uh, how Christian brothers uh, sexually abused children uh, how uh, they were found guilty of that uh, they've been convicted of it and uh, how the order is blocking the victims from taking legal action against it. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this and tell us a little bit more about uh, the role that Edmund Garvey played in that, Damien, please. Well, I suppose, as we heard on primetime last night, that the order, I suppose, is a refusing to put forward someone to represent it as a defendant. And that came after a court case in 2017 when he, he was the leader of the of the order. So he, um, when you when you sue somebody, a, no, a nominee must must take the case for you. So Brother Garvey, as leader, like he refused to put himself forward as a nominee to take the case. So then the victims would have to go to court then, and a judge would have to make him take the case. And that's what happened. That cost money. That cost time. And then he he refused then to he he had to supply the names of all the other brothers and addresses, and he refused to do that mm. uh, under GDPR and under whatever. But the, the victims would have to go to court again and mm. would have to have to do all that so, so they did all that then they have to go to court again the the, uh, the, the victims to mm. uh, serve the summons now there's 160 brothers odd in it, and there's maybe 150 are in Ireland yeah. um, 140 so that's you have to go to court again to get permission to serve mm. the summonses then you it's have, very complicated yeah. uh, a simple way of saying it is is that 
uh, the people were the brothers we're talking about were found guilty. Yeah, uh, they were convicted. Yeah, uh, and the victim was entitled to redress. Mm. But the brothers are thwarting yeah. the attempt to use the legal system yeah. in order to get the redress compensation that yeah. they're entitled to. Yeah. And if the, if the brother's living abroad, mm. you have, they have to use the Brussels Convention okay. to serve the summonses on people to summon <sighs> France. And then there's Brexit is, in, is, is creating a difficulty right. as well. And there's all mm. this. Now, Brother Garvey had a choice. Yeah. He didn't have to do it. And all the victims want yeah. is they, they want the brothers to defend the case. They're yeah. entitled to defend the case. That's no problem. Yeah. But they just want one firm of solicitors yeah. to represent all the brothers. Yeah. So victims at the moment are potentially dealing with 160 legal firms. Yeah. It's taken like, and we saw Frank Clark uh, mm. on primetime mm. last night, uh, who was the highest judge yeah. in the yeah. country, yeah. Uh, the head of the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice, uh, the best legal opinion, uh, certainly one of them that you could receive, mm-hmm. uh, who's saying that the law needs to change uh, mm. because this is thwarting the law. It's yeah. not what's intended. Uh, and uh, it's something that has been used by Edmund Garvey, and this is why it's particularly interesting locally because brother Edmund Garvey was given the freedom of the city of Drogheda. Yeah. Uh, and the victims of Christian brothers have a problem with that. Yeah, we do. Like, you know, and uh, and I, I wrote to, I think it was on the 19th of October, I wrote, I'm a councillor in Dublin, I wrote to the councillors in, um, in, in Drogheda, in, in Louth, in Drogheda, there's 28 councillors, 29, I wrote to them all individually. And um, I was very respectful. Um, I laid out what the situation was to them. Everything that was on the prime time show last night, now everything mm. um, was laid out, was laid out for them, and, and how victims. And I wanted to speak to the councillors as well. Mm. And um, we felt that there was a lot of talk, you know, in, in the media, political part. You know, we, we stand with victims. We do this. We do that. But we wanted some action. And we felt this would be a massive statement. I mean, a cabinet minister wrote to Brother Garvey two or three years ago um, to ask him to, to, to look at this issue as well, and he didn't. He just referred it on to his solicitor. So he's he's, he's well known. Mm. You know, he's, he knows about this. So I wrote to all the councillors, and on the 19th of December, um, they got back to me saying that they wouldn't be rescinding the, 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 the freedom. But that's their choice, you know. But the big thing was they wouldn't meet me. And I was very upset about that. Well, I, I wasn't actually because because I'm, I'm through the system. I don't mm. read these victims that I have. Now we're talking about in Ireland, there'd be hundreds, you know, but I'm working closely, but probably about 30 victims from around the country. And they were very, very upset that they would not meet me. They would not meet a victim mm. of, um, and these are public reps and the mayor of, of Drada, um And when I, when I wrote to her, she's, she's, um, she's a director of the Rape Crisis Centre. These people have been raped and um, that they wouldn't meet, they wouldn't meet with me. They really took, um, they really took umbrage with that. They were really disappointed, you know. So a few days later, I wrote back to the to the mayor and to the councillors in Drogheda. There's a legal, it's it's there. The ones in Drogheda are responsible, and councillors. We have the, we have the um, authority, councillors, to give an honour, and we have the count, we have to take it back, and we don't have to say, you know. And this would have been a massive um, statement from Drogheda to the people of victims, to the public reps, Drogheda, to the people of Drogheda, to, to help victims all over the country. It's a massive statement. So I wrote to them a few days later, and I asked um, to them, would they reconsider? Because I didn't want to share that news with the victims over Christmas, you know. And I haven't been responded. Um, that hasn't been responded at all. Um, they've never got back to me about that. She hasn't got back to me. Um, a a, a councillor, McQuillan, in fairness to, to them, he was the only one who probably showed Paddy me some, McQuillan, yeah. Paddy McQuillan, a, a bit of respect. 
he did text me. We spoke. Um, he he brought it to the councillors again, um, and they had a meeting seemingly, and they've decided no, they're not, and they're not meeting me. Okay. You know, and and so can I just just and so he that but one councillor, and I want to say councillor Maeve Yor. I've never met the woman. She would have been one of the twenty eight or twenty nine councillors that I wrote to at the beginning. She's kept, she's kept in contact with me, um, totally. Um, all the time and she's what I would imagine uh, a sexual abuse victim if they want to speak if they go to a public rep she's 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 a public rep like you'd like to meet you know as I said I've never met her um, but she treated me like with respect she treated the victims with respect and anyway that's it but I'd hope that yeah. the councillors um, would agree to meet me in the future and would agree to have a look at taking their to to take this honour away from this person I mean it, they spelt it out last night on prime time if any of your listeners heard it last night, there's good reason. I'm spelling it out mm. again. Um, it, it, it has a huge effect. This this is a double abuse on 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 victims. This going through all this, how it affects your family, it affects your life, it's enduring. And public reps, it takes a little bit of courage. And one of the reasons that I, I was emotional, I, t- I mentioned earlier, was I, was I was being listened to in the kitchen. I hoped that these counsellors would listen to me meet them they'd listen to me I didn't if they didn't do what I wanted that was okay but I that they wouldn't listen to me it's just like and they talk counselors talk about um and I don't mention names here you know and but people know who I'm talking about but they talk about you know solidarity standing with people and all that but I didn't get I didn't get any of that and the victims the victims in Loud and the victims in Drada and there's a there's a guy around here and uh, Michael Shine who was a victim in in he he, he abused abuser, people yeah. in Our Ladies mm-hmm. and he's got victims in this area and there's victims of sexual abuse in Drada and when a victim came forward they weren't listened to they 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 just and it just it's mm. just not right and um, I don't think they I, I don't know it, there was no malice mm. intended yeah, I think indeed, there was plenty yeah. of people uh, who stood to defend Michael Shine over yeah, the years when yeah. the allegations were first there was no made. malice in the, mm. the councillor's point of view mm. I think it's just a lack of experience a lack of um, knowledge of how to deal with, with victims and to, to listen mm. to them you know and there's probably a lack of insight into into the, into the difficulties that mm. this causes and you're point is that this would show solidarity with the victims who believe not only were they abused by Christian brothers but a legal system which is permissible, there's nothing wrong with it legally, it's legally sound, was adopted to thwart those victims for getting some level of justice for the terrible wrong that was done to them. Uh, We wrote to uh, the councillors in Drogheda on Monday evening and uh, we invited all of them to discuss this with us on uh, the programme this week that we would be giving coverage to it if they wanted to make any comments. There was only one response that came to us from the Mayor of Drogheda, Michelle Hall, who said uh, that this was a, a collective position and that there was no desire or willingness to consider such a, a removal of uh, the honour awarded to Edmund Garvey. Yeah, well, I would hope that the councillors, after listening to me this morning, um, after listening to the primetime show last night, if they did, I don't know why they didn't, um, I would hope that they would reconsider that Um because the brothers really have abdicated responsibility for victims. Brother Garvey and the leadership team. And, and the other thing, I've nothing against the Christian brothers. Fun, I mentioned on the programme last night, there's fantastic Christian brothers. That's another aspect. I thought that was very charitable yeah, of you. And yeah, I've been talking to you, uh, corresponding yeah, with you for some time. Yeah. And I haven't had a, an opportunity to say it to you, uh, but it would be remiss of me not, because I'm sure most people watching it last night would have mm. felt the same. It was exceptionally charitable that you didn't allow the court to name your abuser he's protected 
yeah. uh, by law now, and the reason you did that was to protect his children. Yeah, yeah, that was an incredible right. thing to do. Yeah, now I probably I probably messed things up for victims coming after because if if he was named, he's probably the most prolific abuser in the history of the state. I think because a lot of people are coming forward, and this is only a small window where he was abusing quite a few. He had quite a big career, you know, so if, if he was named, probably a lot more um, w- would come forward. But yeah, his children, it just wasn't um, as well. And I was also probably under his power at the time and his control, yeah. even though it was a long time since since, since, since I met him, okay. you know. Yeah. So I'd love to, in the future, to hear you could give me some feedback if your listeners mm. are getting on or that or the people of Drogheda. Um, they have a tremendous opportunity now to stand with victims around the country. Um it's not many people. You, there's not much you can do to the world. There's this legal with, with the lawyers and the brother Garvey and the leadership team. He's retired now, uh, brother Garvey. But the leadership team of the brothers could um, could could stop this tomorrow. We don't have to be a law mm. commission, or we don't have to have prime time. We don't have mm. to. And and the and the and the councillors and the public reps in Drogheda could send a strong strong message to the Christian brothers. They didn't even. Um, there's the, no desire or willingness to do that. Yeah, but the the the, the what the, the other thing is they didn't even um, the councillors. They wouldn't even offer to to write to. Um, they could have written to um, brother. Uh, to, to the, they to won't the involve themselves. They, in know, they, they wouldn't involve mm. themselves. They could have written mm. to him and said, "Look, could you look at this? This guy is telling us you're doing mm. this. Would you could you do something about the, for these victims?" And the other thing that rankled the victims as well is that none of my correspondence or none of the thing was put on the on the on the agenda of anything. It was all done. Um, in quiet rooms after meetings between themselves and akin to the 80s and 90s as one lady um, got on to me she was a wife of it's the wives that are actually at the most uh, affected with the victim they're the ones that upset because they see the kids and all the, the victim is in his own head <laughs> like he's, you know but they're the ones that um, they felt that uh, it, it was swept under the carpet mm. and there's precedence there for other co- correspondents like mine to be on the agenda okay. because it was sexually abused it was mm. put under the okay that's what yeah. they. That's what certainly well, the victims felt. There's a, a lot of people listening to us. Just, just to conclude, uh, who are represented by the politicians you're talking about, uh, the councillors in the Drogheda mm. area, maybe uh, they could sway some influence with the councillors. Yeah, would you I, like people to do that? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> if the councillors do wish to respond to our invitation to comment on this, uh, which we issued on Monday, of course, they're more than welcome. Uh, if there's any change of position, because I did uh, respond uh, to the mayor, um, uh, wondering if uh, the programme on Primetime or, or this interview may change minds uh, or may people think differently, of course, we'll give time to that. Uh, but as things stand, as far as all of the councillors in Drogheda are concerned, there's no desire or willingness uh, to rescind the freedom of uh, the city on her brother Edmund Garvey, which is what you and other abuse survivors are looking for. Damien, thanks for coming into us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you indeed, Damien O'Farrell. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to a very old issue and one uh, that has uh, caused many problems for many people over a long period of time. Uh, And it it seems as though there's some people at least who have no interest in why disabled driver parking bays are designated as such. And uh, although they have no need for a parking bay of that sort, uh, they park there anyway. The Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland have launched what they're calling Baywatch uh, and Richard Ryder, the communications and marketing manager with Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland is on the line. Richard, good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. There's a couple of objectives you have in mind with this campaign. Sure, good morning Mike and thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, there are indeed. Um, so we have two objectives. 
Uh, firstly, um, is to tackle the glaring hole, I suppose, in existing legislation, whereby the Guardian traffic wardens do not have the power to issue fines to drivers who legally park in accessible parking bays in private car parks. Oh. So, the likes of a shopping centre, a hospital, um, a school, people may not have known that. And actually, we did a national survey, and up to 42% of the adults that were surveyed believed that they did have the power, and the other 45% said that they didn't know. So it's a very grey area, mm. something that we wanted to highlight to let people know that. Um, so, in other words, in a shopping centre, the only thing that's open to, say, the management would be to um, clamp. Mm. The, the guards can't go in and slap a fine on somebody who legally okay. parks. OK. Uh, and the second objective then? Yeah. second objective, is, I suppose, is to highlight the ongoing abuse um, of disabled parking bays in general. And the scale of the problem is backed up by the findings of our surveys again. Almost three quarters of Irish adults said that they had noticed a disabled bay being abused on a regular or occasional basis, uh, which is massive, you know. Mm. So we need, we need more enforcement throughout yeah. uh, the country. Yeah, well, I, I think any time we mention this uh, on the programme, and I'm sure it's the same elsewhere, we get so many complaints from disabled drivers. Bear with me, if you will, Richard, because yeah. we're going to hear from a, a disabled driver. Uh, this is Ashling Gruden, who is from County Mead. Ashling uh, lives in uh, Dunshockland, and sh- she's a wheelchair user, but she's been telling me that she's been driving now for some time. Yeah, I've been driving now, I say eight or nine years. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because you're a wheelchair user, uh, you obviously rely on the car for an awful lot, probably more than most people would. Well, yeah, no, like the car gets me everywhere. Like I I, I would actually need it because, you know, it's my, probably only my only um, mode of transport because sometimes buses aren't accessible. So I would need the car, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's great uh, that uh, you are able to drive and have a car, but of course then you've got this old age-old problem of uh, arriving to where it is you want to go, but there's nowhere to park. Yeah, I have I have encountered that a few, a good few times, yeah. And, you know, we, you have to, if it's multiple um, car parks, you could try and get out and go around and find another space. But... The majority of the time you go in, there'd be maybe a couple of spaces and like I wouldn't really know what to do then. And I might either chance driving around again or end up going home or going somewhere else where Mm. I could get parking. Um, Would you report the car? Um, Yes. Yes, I would. I would take um, the details and I would go into the shop and report to the shop. Okay, but not to the owner of the car. Um, well, um, when I'm there, they usually wouldn't be there. Right, okay. So, yeah. Okay, uh, but is there much point to reporting it? Um, well, in some cases, you know, you go in and you would report it, and depending on the shop, they might be able to do something about it, but something like, it, it really just depends on the shop if they have like a system inside where they can call out a number and ask them to move okay. or yeah hmm. It just it depends on the shop, really. Okay, uh, and I'm sure uh, they try their best. It's a difficult situation because uh, it's illegal, is it, to park in a disabled bay? Um, I'm not too sure yeah. if it is or not. Yeah, but it, there there isn't a fine that you can be given. Uh, 
there are some rules around it now. I know in private car parks there are um, they have their own systems, mm. but I haven't really seen them being enforced. Okay, uh, on the public road though, uh, the Garda or traffic warden can't issue you with a fine. No, I don't think so. Right, okay. Uh, which is a surprise to many people. Uh, and it seems as though I'm not the only one surprised by that from the statistics from the Disabled Drivers Association. Uh, 42% of people believe that you can be fined. But even at that, people do tend to park in disabled bays when they shouldn't be. Uh, you did approach a, a woman once, didn't you? Uh, and asked her um, not to park there in future. Yeah, I did. I, I saw this woman and she was driving around. Now I did. A, I just I knocked on her window and I said, "I'm not. I'm after being in um, the car park over there, and there's loads of spaces." And she just she turned around. She said, "No, no, I'm just going to take this one." Uh, so I just kind of had to say, "Fair enough." Mm. And like, what else can you do, really? Yeah, very selfish. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and obviously it makes a big difference for you. Those bays are, are there for a reason uh, and it's so that you get closer to the building and that's uh, what you need uh, when uh, you're driving on your own and then using a wheelchair, I take it. Yes, yes. Mm, yes. Okay. Uh, would you like uh, to uh, deliver a, a message? Uh, would you like to say something to other drivers on the road about disabled bays? I, I know that uh, the Disabled Drivers Association is looking for a change in the law so that people can be fined, uh, but would you try to appeal uh, to their sense of decency? You know, I just, I just give out the message just to be aware because, you know, you might people might think, oh, you know, I'm just running into the shop here. But within those couple of seconds, there could be somebody in a wheelchair not being able to get find a space. There could be a parent of a child with a disability and a blue badge not being able to find a space. You know, an older person that needs a space that has a blue badge. Just and like if that happens, you know, it's not just I don't know, like. Hmm. You know, that means that you can't you can't go into the shop and get your bits. It means they can't go in. They have to go drive around, find somewhere else. You know, it just it has an impact on the rest of their day, I guess. Yeah. Um, just stop and think about that uh, before. You yeah. Decide. Yeah. OK. Just, yeah. Just to stop and think about what you're doing and who this can impact, because it's not just, you know, Everybody just can't use them. They have, you know, it's a blue badge for a reason. Indeed. That's Ashling Gruden. She was speaking to me yesterday. Richard Ryder is still on the line. Uh, as I say, I was speaking to Ashling yesterday, Richard. I, I think I was yeah. probably as badly as confused about yeah. this as other people. She spoke, uh, she spoke very well and explained it very, very well there. Um, and she explained what her problem and her issue is if she comes across a space. Like, for example, she has to plan her journey, as she said. She's going into town, into Drogheda. She'd say, OK, well, I'm going to X shop. I need to say, OK, well, there'll be a spot there. And if there's not, she may have to go home. Mm. It's fine if that spot's taken up by somebody who genuinely has a disabled person parking badge. If they don't, if it's taken up by somebody who's illegally parking there, that's when the problem happens. Yeah. Um, I'll only be a minute. Just, yeah, I'll only be a minute. That's the bit, yeah, that's the, that's the big one. Or, mm. uh, you know, um, we did a survey a few years ago and we asked people what were the top 10 excuses that they people were given when they approached somebody. My God, one of them, you know, was um, I'm too hungover. Um, I'm getting my Chinese. What business is it of yours where I park? Um, oh, I thought I could park here after 6 p.m. 
Mm. And to me, that means like, does that mean with people with disabilities don't go out after six? It's just incredible what people think, you know. Mm. Um, but just to be clear, if people park in yeah. public, in public parking bay um, illegally, they'll be fined. They can get a fine of 150 euro, and that'll go up to 225. And a guard or a traffic warden can issue that yeah. to them. But it's, it's private. We're asking for so what we're looking for is uniformity across the board mm. by which if you park anywhere be it private or public in a wheelchair accessible parking bay you'll get a fine Okay My apologies for uh, muddying the water on that uh, but no, okay. uh, any private car park um, Yeah they're, they're, they're what it's nothing private, it's just, so it's just a request uh, if there's a parking bay uh, legally it's, it's of, only a request yeah, legally, legally, yeah. yeah correct it's absolutely yeah. just there for mm. yeah but there's no legal basis there's no it, it's up to the the, the, the centre owner or manager. So I'll just give you an example. I got an email a couple of weeks ago and I get them on a regular basis from a lady who said, um, look, I go down to my local shop, I won't mention where or what, yep. and she said, this particular guy is always parked there, the same car. And I, I'm kind of calling them those people serial bay abusers now at this stage. And she said, what can I do? Can I go into the local guard station and report it? And I said, well, is it private car park? She said, yeah. And I said, no, you mm-hmm. can't go to the guards. There's nothing they can do about it. While they might want to do something, I said, what you need to do is go into the manager or owner of the said place and report it to them. Okay. And um, that's it. You know, yeah. that's, I suppose, and that's what people didn't know. I bet you could do the straw poll among your friends yeah. or whoever and say, did you know that the girl? And, and mm. people say, no, I didn't know that. So, yeah. And when it comes to the public roads uh, yeah. where you can incur a fine, you want the local authorities to be more proactive. Correct, 100%. So more enforcement. Um, we need more enforcement. It's, again, 70% of our members, we have 5,000 members um, nationally, and 70% of them said that the parking permit or blue badge has never been inspected by either a guard or traffic warden or a car park operator. So, you know, there needs to be a little mm. bit more checking and um, enforcement of the ru- of the current rules. Mm. No, not mind changing the rules. We need the current rules um enforced. Yeah, and of course you wouldn't have to enforce those rules if uh, people obeyed the rules, or to put that another yeah. way, showed yeah. a bit of consideration. 100%, and you said it, and Ashley said it there, it's not, I suppose a takeaway from this would be, it's not acceptable at any time to park in a wheelchair accessible spot, not even for a minute. Mm. Okay. We leave it there for the moment, Richard. Thank you indeed. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks very much. Uh, That's Richard Ryder, who is uh, the Communications and Marketing Manager with uh, the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have come to us uh, today. A lot of people in touch with us and many thanks to everybody who has taken the time to phone or text or WhatsApp or email as uh, the case may be. Paddy was on to us about uh, refugees in Navan and he says he cannot get over the behaviour of these bowsies as he called them, who were standing shouting abuse at the poor women and children uh, who are inside uh, that old B&B. Now, obviously, these protesters, or whatever you call them, Bowsies, Paddy calls them, obviously they've nothing better to do with their time than terrorise innocent people. Obviously, these protesters are not familiar with their own history of emigrating and travelling abroad. Sure, you cannot visit anywhere in the world without bumping into an Irish person or a person of Irish descent. These horrible protests and events are being driven by uneducated people, in Paddy's opinion, and they should face the full rigour of the law for their actions. Well, uh, there is no doubt in my mind, Paddy, that there are laws against what we have seen 
at some of these locations and they would have to do with incitement to hatred. There are to be new laws uh, about protesting outside people's homes where people live, which is the case when you're living in an old B&B because that's where you're being housed as a refugee. And of course, you're legally here uh, and uh, you're welcomed by most people here. But if you're living there and you've got people standing outside shouting and all of that, uh, well, that's going to become illegal outside of your home and repeat protesters will face a prison sentence. Probably would do no harm to get some of uh, those characters off the road. Uh, And I don't just mean off the road because they were blocking the road on Friday, causing a, a public disturbance apart from anything else, trying to make themselves feel better about themselves by putting other people down. Uh, as if um, they feel superior to others. I think most people would look down uh, on the behaviour uh, of those people uh, as passing a threshold of decency. Uh, a powerful interview, disgraceful that uh, victims still have no voice, even with people elected to re- represent all of the people. Shame on the councillors. This is uh, about Damien's interview, Damien O'Farrell, and calling for the freedom of uh, the city of Drogheda to be rescinded. That was given to Edmund Garvey. Quite a, a number of calls and texts about that. Somebody else saying uh, they obviously were very upset by it, saying that the councillors should resign if they do not come out to support Damien. Not just that, it would tell the public that they do not support people who were abused as children. Seems to me that would be the right thing to do. Quite simple, right or wrong. And we all know this is a despicable crime against the innocent. Yeah, well, it's the legal position that uh, Edmund Garvey oversaw that is uh, the reason that Damien and other victims uh, want uh, the freedom of the city to be rescinded. Uh, It's a legal position that effectively thwarted victims from uh, pursuing redress, which effectively meant uh, that uh, those who perpetrated uh, the crimes Uh, you know, uh, go without uh, having been brought to account. Uh, We'd uh, another text from Tom and Kells who says, can't understand why they didn't report all of this abuse when it happened years ago. The Christian brothers and Kells were handy with the leather. They'd come down on your hands on a cold, frosty morning and they'd never touch a Garda's son or a solicitor's son. I got one Christian brother uh, Gatsy Disco 30 years ago I gave him a good punch in the face says Tom and Kells who obviously has his own story there thank you indeed uh, there's no doubt uh, there were some good Christian brothers I'm sure there were an awful lot of good Christian brothers uh, but they certainly did rule with uh, an iron fist uh, for any of us uh, who went to, to their schools will remember how strict and authoritarian they were and indeed um I think an awful lot of people won't be surprised to hear that there was child sexual abuse. I remember actually being in a Christian Brothers secondary school um, and all of the kids used to run when they saw one particular brother. Uh, It's unbelievable looking back on it. I mean, I don't think it could happen in this day and age, but this fellow would uh, grab whatever child was in the corridor and fondle them in front of everybody else. And... There were kids running all over the place. It was just part and parcel of going to school 
in a Christian brother's school in the school that I went to anyway. Patrick says uh, the guards in Drogheda want me to get a court order in order to get my files in a criminal investigation into uh, a case uh, that uh, I made a complaint about uh, obviously a problem with uh, the legal system and judicial system. Margaret says so the lazy, good-for-nothing, cowardly, loud-mouthed protesters in Navin against Ukrainian women and children who fled the atrocious war in their country are being heard again. Maybe they should all be rounded up and sent to Ukraine to help fight the real war, or else they should take their protests to the Russian embassy, who are the culprits who started the war. They're probably too cowardly to do that. They would rather intimidate women and children. What brave cowards they are. Well said, Margaret. Really was shameful, wasn't it? To think of terrorising women and children who had fled from the war in Ukraine. Thanks uh, for that. Um, Brendan uh, Moore says, illegal parking in disabled bays uh, on the public road. Fines start at 60 euro. Garden traffic wardens can issue them. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Text to us from former Minister Finia McGrath. Nice to think uh, that Finia McGrath was listening and uh, I'm not too surprised uh, because Damien O'Farrell uh, was uh, uh, an advisor to the Minister uh, and he did mention how the Minister wrote uh, to the Christian Brothers to ask them to take a, a different legal approach. I don't think he mentioned Finia McGrath in the interview but it was Finia McGrath as I understand it and uh, the former Minister has texted us this morning to say well done Damien O'Farrell brave, dignified and a voice for survivors. I think that'll be appreciated. Thank you very much indeed. Eric Indendog says if the government keep letting refugees into Ireland there could be a war in this country. P.S. I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in going to war. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, I think by the tone of some of the messages which we can't read out and uh, indeed the behaviour of some people recently. You might be right, Eric. Uh, There's uh, some very, very angry people out there. Now, uh, another call from uh, Michael who feels that the government are to blame for the level of anger and suspicion that is being felt by some towards refugees. Many cannot understand how so many homes and places can be made available to house refugees coming into the country, but none of these buildings could be opened up to house homeless people. Uh, And uh, why are the government treating people so differently? He actually said homeless people on the streets. There's very few street sleepers in the country. Uh, Most of the people who hear uh, who are on the homeless list are on the emergency accommodation list they're staying in hotels and B&Bs uh, and it is disgraceful there's no doubt about it I think it's 11,600 or thereabouts uh, if uh, my memory uh, served me correctly uh, sorry I'm just leaning over here to change my screen because I'm going from the text messages uh, to the WhatsApp messages because we've had a lot of them uh, coming uh, to us uh, this morning Maggie uh, was in touch with us saying hi Michael I- I'm sick to the back teeth with these teacher issues and the absenteeism of secondary school teachers in my child's school it's a a disgrace every day at least one or two teachers are absent last week in one day four teachers were absent from school put the children I take it are put sitting in a a corridor last week for an hour the classroom needed uh, for an exam and uh, the parents are just never contacted this is serious and the children are losing out big time 
uh, on their work and on their studies way behind at this stage, uh, says our caller. Thank you indeed uh, for making uh, uh, contact and indeed for your WhatsApp message. Uh, somebody else saying there should be a petition set up for Brother Garvey uh, to have that freedom of Drogheda rescinded. Uh, I think a lot of people too would like to hear from the local councillors, just to mention that before we go. We have to go though. Uh, Maggie McGuire researched Paul McKenna was in the control tower and Michael Godwilling will see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.